Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hurry, hurry, hurry to Monday matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome to Season 14, Episode 568. I'm your humble servant, Jack Ward, with my esteemed colleague... So formal, Jack? Hello, everyone. Well, I'm in the mood for the first season of the Sonic Society, where I keep things as professional as I could have, remember? Oh, yes. Boy, how that has gone out the window. <laughs> I think, didn't it go out of the window of the uh, of those boats that were going along the desert and, and all of that kind of that thing? That was about six seasons later or seven seasons later. <laughs> yeah, just but that. yes, there's a lot of changes that have happened. Mm. Everyone has their favorite seasons of the Society. For me, it is always the one that we're in. We live in... An embarrassment of riches today mm. where it's impossible to keep up with all of them. Absolutely. And speaking of keeping up, we'd best get on with our features tonight. The first of which is the continuation of Electric Vicuna's The Most Dangerous Game, written and directed by our own Jack and produced by Scott Mosher. And the second is a return with the classic and remade Martian Trombones from Jerry Stearns and Great Northern Audio. And it all begins right here and right now on the Sonic Society. By many methods, I tried to pull myself to sleep. I achieved a doze when, just as morning began to come, I heard far off in the jungle the faint report. General Zaroff did not appear until luncheon. He was dressed flawlessly in the tweeds of a country squire. Mr. Rainsford, I do hope you are feeling better today. I, I am fine, General. Uh, as for me, I do not feel so well. I am worried, Mr. Rainsford. Last night I detected traces of my old complaint. Complaint? Ennui. Boredom. Ah, just in time. Crepe Zuzette. You will join me for a late breakfast, Rainsford. The hunting was not good last night. The fellow lost his head. He made a straight trail that offered no problems at all. That's the trouble with these sailors. They have dull brains to begin with, and they do not know how to get about in the woods. They do excessively stupid and obvious things. It's most annoying. Will you have another glass of Chablis, Mr. Rainsford? General, I wish to leave this island at once. But, my dear fellow, you've only just come. You've had no hunting. I wish to go today. Tonight, we will hunt. You and I. No, General. I will not hunt. As you wish, my friend. The choice rests entirely with you. But may I not venture to suggest that you will find my idea of sport more diverting than Ivan's? You, you don't mean 
to sit, Ivan. Mr. Rainsford is merely examining his options. My dear fellow, have I not told you I always mean what I say about hunting? This is really an inspiration. I drink to a foeman worthy of my steel at last. You'll find this game worth playing. Your brain against mine, your woodcraft against mine, your strength and stamina against mine, outdoor chess, and the stake is not without value, eh? And if I win? I'll cheerfully acknowledge myself defeat if I do not find you by midnight of the third day. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. Oh, you can trust me. I will give you my word as a gentleman and a sportsman. Of course, you, in turn, must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I'll agree to nothing of the kind. Oh, well, in that case. But why discuss that now? Three days hence we can discuss it over a bottle of Vouve Clique, unless... Ivan! Ivan will supply you with hunting clothes, food, a knife. I suggest you wear moccasins. They leave a poorer trail. I suggest, too, that you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. We call it Death Swamp. There's quicksand there. One foolish fellow tried it. The deplorable part of it was that Lazarus followed him. You can imagine my feelings, Mr. Rainsford. I loved Lazarus. He was the finest hound in my pack. I beg you to excuse me now. I always take a siesta after lunch. You'll hardly have time for a nap, I fear. You'll want to start, no doubt. I shall not follow till dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think? Au revoir, Mr. Rainsford. Au revoir. From another door came Ivan. Under one arm, he carried khaki hunting clothes, a haversack of food, a leather sheath containing a long-bladed hunting knife. His right hand rested on a cocked revolver thrust in the crimson sash about his waist. He carefully marched me outside. I wasn't entirely clear-headed when I first fled the chateau. The whole idea was to put distance between myself and General Zaroff, and to this end, I plunged along, spurred on by the sharp rowers of something very like panic. When I'd gotten a grip, I stopped and took stock of myself in the situation. Straight flight was futile. Inevitably, it would bring me face to face with the sea. I was in a pitcher with a frame of water, and my actions must take place within that frame. I'll give him a trail to follow. I struck off from the rude path I had followed into the trackless wilderness. I executed a series of intricate loops, doubled on my trail again and again, recalling all the lore of a fox hunt and all the dodges of the fox. By night I was leg-weary, my hands and face lashed by the branches on a thickly wooded ridge. I knew it'd be insane to blunder on through the dark, even if I had the strength. I need a rest. I have played the fox, now I must play the cat of the fable. I climbed up a big tree with a thick trunk and, taking care to leave not the slightest mark, I stretched out on one of the broad limbs, 
Rest brought new confidence and almost a feeling of security. Surely, even so zealous a hunter, General Zarov couldn't trace me down. I was convinced. Only the devil himself could follow that complicated trail through the jungle after dark. An apprehensive night crawled slowly by like a wounded snake, and sleep did not visit me, although the jungle echoed the silence of a dead world. Toward morning, when a dingy gray varnished the sky, I was alerted. The startled cry of the bird focused my attention. Something was coming through the bush. Coming slowly, carefully. Coming by the same winding way I had last night. I flattened down on the limb and through a screen of leaves almost as thick as tapestry I watched. The figure coming through the underbrush was a man. It was General Zarov. The Cossack hunter made his way along, eyes fixed in an utmost concentration on the ground before him. He paused beneath me, dropped to his knees and studied the ground. My muscles ached, clinging silently to that limb. Every impulse I had screamed to hurl myself down like a panther upon him, but I dare not. The general's right hand held tightly to a small but lethal automatic pistol. I held my breath as Zarov shook his head several times, as if he were puzzled. He straightened up and took from his case one of his black cigarettes. The wind died again, and the pungent incense-like smoke floated up the trunk to my nostrils. It burned my lungs. The general's eyes had left the ground and was traveling inch by inch up the tree. I froze. Zarov's sharp eyes stopped before they reached the limb where I lay. Hmm. He smiled, whistled a tune, very deliberately blew a smoke ring into the air. And then that Cossack general turned his back <laughs> and walked carelessly away, back along the trail he'd come. <sighs> I breathed normally, only after the swish of his hunting boots grew faint. My first thought made me sick and numb. The general could follow a trail through the woods at night. An extremely difficult trail. Zarov must have uncanny powers. Only by the merest chance had he failed to see me. At least... That was my first thought. My second was even more terrible. A shudder of cold horror tore through my whole being. Why had the general smiled? Why had he walked away? I didn't want to believe what reason told me was true, but the truth was as evident as the sun that now pushed through the morning mists. The general was playing with me, saving me for another day's sport. The Cossack was the cat. I was the mouse. It was then... I knew the full meaning of terror. I will not lose my nerve. I will not. I struck off again into the woods, forcing the machinery of my mind to function. Three hundred yards from my hiding place, I found a huge dead tree that leaned precariously on a smaller living one. 
Throwing off my sack of food, I drew my knife from its sheath and began to work with all my energy, hopeful that I might yet survive this hunt. The job was finished at last. I threw myself down behind a fallen log a hundred feet away. I didn't have to wait long. The cat was coming again to play with the mouse. Following the trail with the sureness of a bloodhound came General Zarov. Nothing escaped those searching black eyes. No crushed blade of grass, no bent twig, no mark, no matter how faint in the moss. So intent was the Cossack on stalking me that he was upon the thing I had made before he saw it. I held my breath. His foot had touched the protruding bow that was the trigger. But while the trap had worked, Zarov was faster and leapt back. He staggered but did not fall, nor did he drop his revolver. <laughs> Rainsford, if you are within sound of my voice, as I suppose you are, let me congratulate you. Not many men know how to make a Malay man-catcher. Luckily for me, I too have hunted in Malacca, and so I have only a sore shoulder from your pains. <laughs> you are proving interesting, Mr. Rainsford. I am going now to have my wound dressed, but I shall be back. I shall be back. took up flight again, for that's what it was. A desperate, hopeless flight that carried me for some hours. Dusk came, then darkness, and I still pressed on. The ground grew softer under my moccasins, the vegetation grew ranker, denser. Insects bit at me savagely. Then, my foot sunk into the ooze. I tried to wrench it back, but the muck sucked viciously at my foot as if it were a giant leech. With a violent effort, I tore myself loose. I knew where I was now. Death Swamp. As I scrambled up from the ground, the softness of the earth gave me an idea. I stepped back from the quicksand a dozen feet or so, and like some huge prehistoric beaver, I began to dig. I had dug myself in, in France, when a second's delay meant death. That was a placid pastime compared to my digging now. The pit grew deeper. When it was above my shoulders, I climbed out, and from some hard saplings cut stakes and sharpened them to a fine point. I planted the stakes in the bottom of the pit, points sticking up. Desperately, with flying fingers, I wove a rough carpet of weeds and branches and covered the mouth of the pit. Then, wet with sweat and aching with tiredness, I crouched behind the stump of a lightning-charred tree. I knew my pursuer was coming, 
I heard the padding sound of feet on the soft earth. The night breeze brought the perfume of the general's cigarette. It seemed to me that Zaroff was coming with unusual swiftness. He didn't feel his way along anymore. Was he so certain he had cornered me in that swamp? I crouched there, not seeing the general, nor could I see the pit. I lived a year in that minute. I heard the sharp scream of pain as the pointed stakes found their mark. I leapt from my place of concealment, but cowered back again. Not daring to breathe in the inky blackness, three feet from the pit, a man was standing with an electric torch in his hand. You've done well, Rainsford. Your Burmese tiger pit has claimed one of my best dogs. Again, you score. I think, Mr. Rainsford, I think I'll see what you can do against my whole pack. I'm going home for a rest now. Thank you for a most amusing evening. If Zaroff had only wished to look about him, inky darkness or not, he would have finished me. I was too weak from digging all day to flee. I'd only wish to close my eyes to rest. I woke with a start by a sound that told me I had new things to learn about fear. A pack of hounds. The general was not patient to wait for night any longer. It was daybreak, and while their howls were distant, I knew they would be on me soon. I could do one of two things. Stay where I was and wait. That was suicide. Or I could flee. That was postponing the inevitable. I stood there for a moment thinking. An idea, no. A wild chance came to me, and I headed away from the swamp. On a ridge, I climbed a tree, peering out through the flares of sunlight breaking between the canopy of leaves. Down a watercourse, not a quarter of a mile away, I could see the bush moving. Straining my eyes, I saw the lean figure of General Zaroff. Just ahead of him, I could make out another figure, whose wide shoulders surged through the tall jungle weeds. It was the giant Ivan pulled forward by some unseen force. Ivan had to be holding the pack and leash. I knew they'd be on me any minute now. My mind worked frantically. I thought of a native trick I learned in Uganda. I caught a hold of a spring young sapling, used a bit of wild grapevine to fasten my hunting knife to it. The blade pointed down the trail. With another handful of vine, I tied back the sapling. I ran for my life. The hounds raised a yelp as they hit the fresh scent. I know now how an animal at bay feels. I had to catch my breath. The baying of the hounds stopped abruptly, and my heart stopped too. They must have reached the knife. I shinned up a tree and looked back. My pursuers had stopped, but all hope died, for I could see in the shallow valley General Zaroff. The hunter was still on his feet. But Ivan was not. The knife driven by the recoil of the springing tree 
hadn't completely failed. Nerve! 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 As I ran, the devil at my heels, a blue gap showed between the trees dead ahead. Ever nearer drew the hounds. I reached the gap. It was a cliff top. Twenty feet below, the sea rumbled and hissed. Across the cove, I could see the gloomy gray stone of the chateau. I hesitated. Heard the hounds tearing the underbrush behind me. Then, I leaped far out into the sea. man. You can't be telling me that you swam away. <laughs> no. No, of course not. But Zaroff, what did he do? I had missed the rocks, of course. My aim was true, and the water somewhat revived me. I can only guess that that Cossack general looked down from his perch for any sign of life. I can imagine Zaroff sitting down amidst his prized hounds, drinking his brandy from his gold flask, lighting cigarettes, humming Madame Butterfly. I'm certain Zaroff had to make his own dinner that night. I can imagine he prepared an exceedingly good feast for himself in his great paneled dining hall that evening. I had found out later he had had a bottle of Paul Roger and half a bottle of Chambertin. Knowing the general, two slight annoyances would have spoiled any complete enjoyment. Certainly it would be difficult to replace Ivan, and of course I, his quarry, had escaped him. Thick eyebrows knitted together. He'd grumbled to himself that I hadn't played the game as he sampled his after-dinner liqueur. He had left the works of Marcus Aurelius out in the library, no doubt trying to soothe himself with the ideals of stoicism in an unyielding world. The general made his way up to his bedroom at ten, locked himself into the gloom, for there was little moonlight. Before turning on his light, he went to the window and looked down at the courtyard. Better luck another time. I turned on the light and stepped out from behind the curtains of his bed where I hid. In my hand was one of the swords he displayed on the wall. Rainsford! How in God's name did you get here? Swam. I found it quicker than walking through the jungle. I congratulate you. You have won the game. There's no need for fencing sports now. Oh no. I am still a beast at bay. Get ready, General Zaroff. I see. Splendid. Very sporting of you to leave me a sword. One of us is to furnish a repast for the hounds. The other will sleep in this very excellent bed. On guard, Rainsford. <laughs>
And, and what happened next? I have never slept in a better bed before or since. <laughs> what an astounding story. Had I not been privy to the beginning of it, I would never... Excuse me, sir. Uh, yes, what is it? Your, your guide is at the gate, sir. He awaits your pleasure for the hunt. Um, uh, yes. Uh, well... I suppose you ought to be going, then. Y yes. Uh, well, uh, waiter... Yes, sir. Please send the guide away, but give him this first. That's very generous of you, sir. Yes, well, I'm sure he won't mind being paid for his trouble. Very well. I, I thought you were bound for the hunt. Well, I, I think I've done enough hunting in my lifetime. And you? Do you remember asking me how the prey feels? Yes. Yes, I believe I do. There's one thing for certain. And that is? The best feeling the prey has is when they are wily enough to get away. <laughs> here, here. To confounding hunters everywhere. Cheers. Sanger, Rainsford, and Archibald Whitney have had more than their share of adventure. Perhaps they will operate a tea room in Monte Carlo, or drive a taxi in Paris. Whatever their fates, they stalk prey no longer. For once you've traveled in the skin of another, you're forever changed. As we hope you, dear listener, are changed by this tale. Join us again next time. When you need a break from the everyday, tune in to Action Adventure Audio Theater. Tonight's episode, The Most Dangerous Game, was written by Richard Connell and was adapted for action-adventure audio theater by Jack J. Ward. It starred Guy Earle as Sanger Rainsford, David Alt as Archibald Whitney, and Tom Lute as both General Zaroff and the Café Waiter. Virginia Ward was the market girl, and Ivan was performed by Mark Kilfoyle. Production by Scott Mosher, direction by Jack Ward, and musical production by Sharon B. <laughs> Right where you are. Okay. Wow. What, is this? what a house. Okay. We get to the show on the road, whatever. Oh, welcome to the 14th occasional reunion of the members in good standing of the Ramon Raquello Orchestra. Let's hear it. Wait a minute, please hold, hold right, your applause. Look. Hold your applause, please. What about the, the Mark Time Awards? Look, we got the signs up and everything. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, theater's dead and radio's a heartbreak, so give it up, get used to it, okay? Get out of here. All right, okay, All right. Now you folks settle down out there. I'll talk to you later, okay? Your problem, okay? All right, uh, yeah, yeah, welcome to the 14th occasion, occasional reunion. So you want to come up here? You want to do this, okay? Shut up! Thank you, Peter. <clears throat> All right, uh, okay, uh, back to my script which I carefully wrote before I went to the bar. And now you all know me. You all know me. Tony Maraschino's second clarinet, and I was there in 38. Yeah, I was there. Mercury Theater, Orson Wells. Yeah, but enough about me. Okay, uh, um, I want to introduce you to a few people tonight. I want to introduce to you, too, them. Uh, Dickie Dyson. 
Uh, first trumpet out there. What has it been? Ten years, Dickie? Huh? 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 Too long, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, say hello. Did you say hello? Yeah. Okay, Dickie. And we got a couple of new family members out there. Yeah, for the very first time they uh, here, Amanda Henri, and uh, don't tell anybody. Uh, she's Vic Henri's granddaughter. You remember her good old Vic, first trombone. Let's give him a whole hand. He was there in 38, yeah. poor guy. Yeah, 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 that's it. Who knows what happened to the poor guy, okay? And we got a very special guest, a real treat for all of us, our <coughs> dear departed leaders only known. Living relation, Archie Raquello. Yeah. Hey, stand up, Arch. Stand up. Okay, come on up here. Come on. There you go. Look at that face. Great to be here. Look at that face. It needs a a spitting image of old Ramon. Just looks like him. Old Ramon, God bless his soul. (laughs) He's the best damn leader any band could have. That was a funny one, wasn't it? We should have rehearsed that one before. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, golly, this is uh, this is cool, but uh, because really, uh, until a couple of months ago, I uh, I didn't even know this reunion deal really even existed. I, yeah. I and now I've got a whole website up, and uh, we're going to start a yeah. Twitter page. Okay, look, I don't I don't got excited. a computer, I, but hey, really excited. Excited for you! I really think it's great. Whatever it is. Okay? Well, great because I'm uh, really psyched up, yeah. and I'm learning about your uh, about about your leader, my uh, my great uncle, and and the band here, and yeah. uh, and the War of the World. Oh, oh no, 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 no! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Archie, that broadcast is is come on. It's a sore spot with a crowd. You know what I mean? Okay, give the kid a break. Take it easy. We, we all know, don't we? October 30, 1938 is a year, a day, a time to live in infamy. Okay, so I'm going to take a break here. <laughs> Frankly, I think I've got to go to the can. <laughs> so, uh, you so get yourself another drink and I'll uh, quit doing that, okay? You're in trouble with me after the show. Okay. I'll be back in five, and nobody steals the mouthpiece off my clarinet this time. The last guy that did that. What, 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 what was all that grousing about, Dick? Well, you, you know the story of what happened with the War of the Worlds broadcast, don't you, Amanda? Sure. Pretty much. Mostly? No, I don't really know anything. <laughs> well, let me see if I can uh, put it in a nutshell for yeah. you. Yeah. Now, now, back in 38, I was, I was only 18. Oh, hey, Amanda. Arch Raquello. Hi. Yeah. I, uh, I know that we haven't formally been introduced, but uh, we're both sort of third-generation Raquelloites, and I couldn't help but notice your, uh, your glass is empty. And I'd be glad to <laughs> fill it. Hey. Dick's going to tell what really happened with the War of the Worlds, okay? Oh, sorry. Right. Go ahead, Dick. Well, you know, the Ramon Raquello Orchestra was really starting to do pretty good back in 1937, 1938 when I joined up. Uh-huh. We were getting club dates all up and down the mm. East Coast, starting to eat regular. Mm. <laughs> and about that time, Ramon gets a call from John Houseman at the Mercury Theater on the air offering us a live radio gig. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we thought, this is it. We've hit the big time. 
Houseman promised us 15 minutes on the network. Yeah. Big exposure. Big and so... Uh, hey, hey, actually, can I, can I just tell the rest? Because I've, I've been working on it. I've been doing a lot of research. Because I know it now. You know what I mean? For the website. Because I've been oh, making okay. a website. All right. Sure. You go ahead. Okay. So... But, like, correct me if I'm wrong. But, so... Okay. So, the date's set for the Raquello Orchestra to play on October 30th, 1938, right? Yeah. And they were, uh, they booked, they were booked in the Meridian Room at the Park Plaza Hotel. And, uh, and they even stayed there. Beds were lumpy. Okay. But, th- but the weird thing was that Orson Welles never told the band what the show was about. Not a word. You didn't have any idea? Nope. No, man. So, okay. So, th- so the night of the show, the orchestra was all set to play their hearts out. Uh, La Copacita, Stardust. I've seen the set list. Wonderful stuff. Right. And, um, and, and what happens? I mean, every time the band starts to play, just about to, just about to play, they just get interrupted by some stupid story about Martians invading Earth. The war of the world's wrecked, the band's big chance? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. The whole damn orchestra ended up being a punchline in one of the biggest jokes pulled off in the 20th century. Did Orson Welles apologize to the guys? <laughs> we were lucky we got paid. Oh, you you did. You did get paid. Okay, I'll, I'll put that on the website. Did you guys, um, did you guys buy the, uh, the whole... You know, the Martians are taking over the world stuff. I mean, I just can't really believe anybody bought that. I mean, it's ridiculously hokey now. Just, Orson Welles crazy. wouldn't have known a real Martian if he tripped over one. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Hmm. hmm. Wells told the public what they wanted to hear. Meteorites, death rays, monsters. Now, now let me ask you this. Why the hell would real aliens land in New Jersey? I mean, think about it. Dick, what, what are you, um, what are you, what are you saying? You sound like you, you know what a Martian looks like. Or... Yeah, I've seen a few. Yeah? It's a little tricky to point them out in a crowd, unless you know what you're looking for. Yeah, well, what, what, what... There's a, a Martian identification kit. Yeah, sure what there are you is. For? There's the five sure signs. What? Well-tailored suit, gills behind the ears, can't bend their little fingers, vertical pupils in the eyes, and number five, and most importantly, just the subtle hint of Old Spice aftershave in the air. Ah, come on, Dick. You kids, you, you don't know the whole story. The Martian invasion began. On the night of October 30th, 1938. Sure. Just not the way Orson Welles told it. And Amanda... Yeah? Your grandpa had a big part in... Well, not stopping it, but slowing it down. Really? Yeah. And we'll wait for... Oh! Okay. (laughs) You're back. All right. You're on still? Okay. You know, you ever had one of those terrible headaches that just won't go away for a really long time? And I... uh, anyway, we're, you're uh, going to get all the guys up here for a little jam session a little bit, but uh, I wanted to introduce another couple of familiar faces in the crowd out there. It's Frankie Wells, his tenor sax, no relation to Orson, no, uh, no, no, and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Joe Klein. Oh, he's dead. Well, um, uh, I guess uh, we'll, um, we'll, hey. What? 
Uh, who are you? I don't recognize you. Oh, uh, <coughs> uh, me? I was the uh, I was the marimba player. Wait, I I don't uh, I don't I don't really remember the band having a marimba player. Uh, uh, did I say marimba? Yeah. <laughs> I meant to say sousaphone. Sure. I, I know they didn't no. have a sousaphone. No. Oh no 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 no, 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 no sousaphone. Well, yeah. that's unfortunate. I say that's uh, an awful nice suit you're wearing there, bud. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you very much. Do I smell Old Spice? Maybe. Are you breathing through your neck? What is going on here? All right! Crazy. Enough of this foolishness. You stopped our invasion once. It will not happen again. Uh, now stand back, and perhaps no one will get hurt. The young lady here will be coming with me. Hey, hey what's the big idea? Let go. You, you can't do that. Uh, Amanda. Stop right there. Watch out, watch out. He's got a gun. <gasps> Are you sure? It looks like a banana. You are both incorrect. It is a portable equivocator. Now, please move aside and nobody reach for their instruments. And Mr. Dyson, please be so kind as to communicate to Vic Henry that the tables have turned. Oh, let the go. Stop it. Kidnapping is a federal Don't offense. Don't worry, Amanda. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll... I know you I, will, Archie. Should somebody call the police, maybe? Or? No, no, no. When it comes to aliens, the authorities are useless. Mr. Dyson, we've got to do something. We, we've got to save Amanda. We, we've got to find Vic Henri. If there's a Martian involved, Vic will find them. I thought he disappeared in 38. Is he, is he still alive? <sighs> I guess I'd better fill you in on what's been going on. Come on, I'll tell you in the car. Oh, you, you mean you know where the Martian's taking Amanda? I've got a pretty good idea. Let's go. Hey, uh, hey, Dick. Is this gonna be a is this gonna be a flashback? Yeah. Why not? We're stuck in traffic anyway. Cool. <clears throat> well, well, like you already know, the Ramon Raquello Orchestra was hired to play the opening for War of the Worlds. Everything was going fine. We were warming up at the Meridian Room, and then at the last minute, word came down. Uh, a, a note was passed. Absolutely no trombones. What? Vic Henri went crazy. Oh, Dickie, what do they mean I'm not playing? This is our big gig now. I don't know nothing about it. Uh, that guy over there says John Houseman says no trombones. Uh, so no trombones. Well, he had a nice suit, but he looked like he's breathing through his neck. Well, I have a word with him. Hey, hey, you, buddy, what? Well, what's the deal? You mean no trombones? I'm great. I'm good. I play you my, my solo. Listen to me, eh? Hey. No. No, 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 no! 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 The Martian ran, but Vic was pretty fast, especially for a trombone player. He caught up with the guy in the alley and insisted on playing his entire solo for him. No, no, please, please, don't hurt me. No more, no more. No, 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 no. I give up. I give up. The Martian went all woozy and spilled his beans. His, his, his beans? Vic was the only one that got what was really coming down. He tried to tell us. But we were all going nuts over the War of the Worlds broadcast like the rest of the nation. 
I remember saying to Vic when he came back in, Hey, Vic, listen, man. We just heard on the radio, Martians are going to destroy the Earth. No, they are not. Uh, they don't want to destroy us. They huh? just want to take over. What? Look, I, I got a job to do. I got to go. Dick, what, uh, what happened to the flashback? Uh, the cars are moving again. I can't flash back and drive at the same That's... time. Safe for everybody. That's good. I All right, it. keep your shorts on, big man with a horn. Please. Ah, well, that's about it anyway. Vic hit the pavement running, leaving a pregnant fiance and three more payments left on his trombone, never to be heard from. Well, at least never to be seen again. His trombone has been heard often enough. I'm, I'm sorry, Dick. I just, I still, I, I don't get it. It's simple, kid. There's Martians out there waiting to take over the world. But gotcha. they can't stand music. Gotcha. They hate it. It makes them wilt. Harmonics or acoustics or something. Gotta put it on the website. Okay, wait. So are you telling me that for all these, all, the, all these years, the only thing standing between us and, and, a, and a total Martian invasion is it's one trombone player? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Where have you taken me? Oh, man, this place smells. What is this place? It's my lair. Your lair? Your lair of what? No, 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 no. A... Lair. Is it like a hiding place? My secret lair. What are you doing this for? Who are you? I'm a Martian. <laughs> I've been sent here to take over the world. Haven't I made that abundantly clear? No. No, not really. I am just not getting this. Oh. Perhaps this PowerPoint presentation will help clarify the situation for you. October 30th, 1938. While the War of the Worlds broadcast tells of a fake Martian invasion, a lone trombonist heads off the real invasion. That's my grandfather, Dick Henry. December 1944. Trombone champion Glenn Miller goes down over the English Channel along with two hand-picked army trombonists. Plane and personnel never recovered. Score one for the Martians. Oh, that's horrible. July 1947, Roswell, New Mexico. Alien spacecraft crashes to the Earth. Local sheriff claims to have heard a trombone overhead. Some kind of a shiny thing was coming out of the sky right for me. Then I heard what sounded like a trombone. It went and then the spaceship went. I gotta believe that trombone saved my life. Lucky fool. Spring 1951, the nation's capital. Trombonists, as an ethnic minority, are cited for practicing communism, unionism, and playing off-key by the House Un-American Activities Committee. Clear evidence that Martians have come to occupy highly placed government positions. I cannot believe this. The powers that be have always been most 
shall we say, 1955, Elvis Presley hits the top of the pop charts with You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. A groundbreaking trombone solo is mysteriously edited out. Master tapes disappear. <laughs> I did that one. Fiend. Thank you. <clears throat> Have you had enough? There's more? Of course there's more. There's always more. Well, you'll never get away with this. Oh, really? My grandfather. He won't let you. I know that. I know that in my heart. My dear child, Vic Henry is an old doddering fool. And I put the emphasis on his advanced age. His health is failing. And someday, someday soon, he will drop his trombone. (laughs) The solos will stop. And all this foolishness will be over. As you will hear in the latter part of the 20th century, we have been quite thorough. (laughs) June 18th, 1967. In the last minute of the Monterey Pop Festival, Bent Sunshine, an experimental electric trombone band, is pulled from the lineup, replaced by a sitar. Oh, no, God. Labor Day, 1972. An 18-minute trombone solo is, quote, accidentally erased from infamous Watergate tapes by White House Secretary oh, no. Rosemary Come Woods on. at the behest of Vice President Spiru Agnew. A true Martian patriot! February 29, 1988. A secret handshake deal is struck between MTV representatives and music recording industry executives agreeing to ban all trombones from music videos. <laughs> Boy, Nick, that's some uh, pretty rough stuff you've been telling me. Yeah, but well, that's not the half of it. It's getting worse. Did you know that over 36 states have passed anti-trombone legislation banning or severely limiting public trombone solos and or the gathering of trombonists in public places with real and or commercial artistic intent? Yeah, but what, does, what does Amanda have to do with all of, uh, all of this? She's Vic Henri's granddaughter. She's the bait. They're trying to sucker Vic in. But you, um, you do know how to find him, right? No. Neither do the Martians. Neither does anyone else. And that's the way Vic wants it. As long as Vic's out there, and as long as he has his trombone, mankind has a chance. A slim one, but it's a chance. That's it in a nutshell, ain't it, Dickie? <sighs> Aldridge. I was wondering when the CIA was going to show up. (laughs) You doing all right? Keeping up your house payments? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing a little side job for the FBI. No kidding. That where the new dress and the uh, stiletto heels came from? You got me there, Dickie boy. The crude oil lobby threw a little work my way, too. Hey, congratulations, Aldrich. (laughs) Thanks. You're working for the big three. You must know all there is to know. Yeah, I do. But the CIA isn't allowed to talk to the FBI, see? And what the oil guys know is proprietary information. So even though I know all there is to know, I'm not allowed to talk to myself about it because I might be telling myself something I'm not supposed to know. <laughs> uh, understand? I, no. I, that doesn't make any Shut sense. Shut up, kid. Okay. 
This is the intelligence industry. It doesn't have to make sense. All right. Well, let's get up to the Martian's lair, Arch. Uh, Dick, she's, um, she's got a gun, and it's pointed at us. Ah, looks like a portable equivocator to me. You're both wrong. It's a banana, and it's loaded. <laughs> all right, all right. You've got the drop on us. Aldrich, what do you want? I want to make sure we don't get a lame horse out the barn door, if you know what I mean. No. Does either. she always talk like this? Is that like yeah, a, is that a in thing? triplicate? Okay. <laughs> what? Where? What is this place? My secret laboratory. How many places do we have to go to? You mean besides the timeshare? You won't get away with this, Dick and Archie. They can't be far behind. That's right. I saw you making googly eyes at Ramon Raquello's foolish young progeny. Do you really believe that it is enough to spur him on to find you? I find that human hormones are so overrated. Don't you agree? Googly eyes. Googly eyes. <laughs> I didn't make googly eyes at anybody. My dear Amanda, I am a Martian. Please believe me when I say I know googly eyes when I say them. Well, 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 I've never met my grandfather, but somehow, some way, he'll find me. Oh, excellent reasoning, my dear. <laughs> that is precisely the plan. Because once Vickery swoops down to your rescue, he will not be able to get past this. That, that's not a portable equivocator. Of course not. It's a fully functional, full-sized model. Now, my overly romantic yet intrepid young friend, grab that handle and help me get this machine into the van. Uh, it looks pretty heavy. Oh, too heavy for a widow girl, huh? Oh, so the big bad Martian needs help, huh? Huh? Okay, there... See, it's... it's not so bad. Careful, my dear. That's an extremely delicate instrument. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Where did I put that warranty? Gosh, Dick, uh, we've, uh, we've tried the Martian's lair, his, uh, his timeshare. It was really nice, but he wasn't there. And now the secret lab? Um, I don't know, we're stumped. Where else could they be? Yeah, dicky boy. What's the idea? You leading me down a blind alley, or do you got an ace up your pants? <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We're on the right track. I can smell Old Spice. Now I got it. There's only one other place left to look. Of course. The abandoned warehouse downtown. Hey, why didn't I think of that? So, my dear, here we are at the abandoned warehouse downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your foolish friends should arrive momentarily. Now, your help would be most appreciated in calibrating the equivocator. Hey, I don't know how to calibrate. Oh, come, come. I might be a Martian, but I'm a male. And you're a female. Which one of us do you think reads instructions? 
Oh, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh -huh. Okay, I think I got it. Pre-release the rending dissipation valve uh -huh. here. Then choose the standard deviation for the opacity binding field here. Ooh. There. How about that? <laughs> you know, my dear, you have been most cooperative. <laughs> Thanks. Have you considered joining us? We have a great benefits package. Dental as well. You will look so fetching with gills. Amanda, uh, Amanda, oh, are, are you all right? Oh, Archie, I knew you'd come. <laughs> right on time, fools. Okay, Martian, put it down. I'm not holding anything. All right, then don't, then don't pick it up. Oh, certainly, okay, all right, fine. <laughs> Hello, Aldrich. Glad to see that you've made it. Hey, Sam, how's it going on your end? Not bad, not bad. The hubby and child, well, I presume. Uh, kid's getting 2100 bucks worth of braces and the old man left me. Woohoo! I'm not surprised! <laughs> How painful for you. Wait, you two know each other? Yeah, they're collaborators. Ah, Dickie Dyson. <laughs> Couldn't have a going away party without the horn player, now could we? Wait, I, I, I know I don't get a lot, but I also don't get this. The CIA and the Martians are, are, are in on this together. Not a pretty sight, is it, kid? But why, Aldrich? What are you getting out of this? Power and domination. One world government. One cable network. One size fits all. My God, it's all happening. Yes, it does seem that all the many and varied pieces of the puzzle are finally in place. Now... We simply must wait for one loud, rather intrusive, toneless trombone player. Not so fast, Martian. Mm -hmm. Before we get to Vic Henry, the CIA, the FBI, and all the other over-the-counter intelligence agencies, we want to renegotiate. How quaint. But I'm afraid that will be quite impossible. All right, Martian. I'm going to let you have it. From both ends. Ooh. Is that a banana? Yeah, and it's loaded. Wow. Shoot! If you must! Okay. Want to know what happened? Good golly, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <sighs> the laser tracking pod was somehow inverted on Aldrich's loaded banana. How unfortunate for her. One must admit, however, that she had outlived her usefulness. Now then, I'll ask the three of you to line up against those wobbly boxes next to the conveyor belt while I throw the switch on the full-size, fully functional equivocator! Oh. No, 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 you'll never hit Nick with that. He's too good and too fast for you. I'm not planning on shooting the trombone player. I'm planning on shooting the tromboing Try it again. The tromboing One more time. I'm planning on shooting the trombone player's lovely granddaughter. Okay, oh, look, Mr. Martian, hey. don't shoot her, okay? Shoot me. What's the difference? What difference does it make? What? What? Why don't you act like a man? Oh, you dear fool, you. I'm not a man. I'm a Martian. And I do plan on equivocating each one of you, I promise. It's just that the machine hasn't warmed up yet. Archie, really? You do that for me? 
we hardly know each other. Well, I know you well enough to know that you're the most beautiful, most radiant woman I've ever met in this play. Oh, no. Not the googly eyes again. What googly eyes? Would you shut up about the googly eyes? There are no googly eyes here. I'm trying to talk to this young guy, all right? So, Archie, what were you saying? Uh, well, ever since I've been tracking d- down the story of Ramon Raquello, I felt like I've been... I, I, I'm being drawn towards something, something bigger than myself, something decent, something noble, something I can be part of, something maybe we both already are a part of. Oh, Archie, I know. And I realize maybe it's, it's me that's got to uh, no, take the... No, uh, no, I, Archie, no, the banana. I can't let I, you do that. Just go ahead, Mr. Martian. Do your worst. How courageous. There, there, there's Vic now. Hiya, Vic! Not so fast, Vic Henri. I'm fully prepared to equivocate your long-lost granddaughter over there. Now put down that irritating instrument and slide it over here. I'm not kidding around. No, no, Vic, no. Don't do it. <laughs> Thank you. For once, you've acted responsibly. Now, I will quickly and quite painlessly equivocate you. The trombonionic threat to my world will cease, and the earth will be ours. <laughs> Amanda, 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 pick it up. Pick up the trombone. Why? Yeah, Amanda, do it. Pick it up and play. I don't know anything about playing a trombone. Amanda, you've got to try. No, I don't know how. It's the only hope for all of mankind. Oh, you silly fools. She doesn't have the reach, nor the technique, nor the embouchure. She's no threat. She can't play. She can't hurt my cause. He's right, Archie. Archie, I don't think I could do it. Do it, Amanda. You can do it. Do it. You're an Henri. You've got the lips and the arms for it. You gotta try. Oh, okay. What, 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 what do I do? Well, it, 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 it's easy, sweetheart. It, it's easy. Just put your lips together and blow. <laughs> oh. Well, okay. Here goes. <laughs> Such charming human ineptitude. Wait. <laughs> No, 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 no. No, no, no. Yeah. This can't be happening. Give it to him, sweetheart. No, 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 no. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, keep it going. No, no, help me. Help me. I'm I'm melting. I'm melting. I'm She sounds a lot better than Vic ever did. Wonderful. Work it, baby. Work it. I knew she could do it. (laughs) Okay, okay, Amanda. Calm down. You've done it. It wasn't guns and bullets that could defeat our enemies. It was the music of our soul. Yeah, baby. Wow. Amanda, way to to go. You've, You've saved mankind. How do you feel? That felt good, Archie. Now, I think I know my place in the world now. I know what I got to do. I am going to get the Ramon Raquello Orchestra back together. Hot damn! After all these years, I got a steady gig! 
I, um, I have a few questions for you, Amanda. Like what? Like, do you think you could marry me? And also, do you think I could maintain your website? I do. That was, that was quick. <laughs> Go ahead and kiss her, kid. But be careful of those lips. She's got a lot of work to do. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, hey. Oh, dear. Where'd Vic go? He's, he's disappeared. We didn't get a chance to, uh, to thank him. He's out there now. He knows the earth is safe. He knows Amanda will take care of that. It's the other planets. It's the solar system. It's the whole damned universe that's got to be protected now. That's a lot. And in the real news tonight, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration noted some detectable seismic activity on Mars and released these color photos from Curiosity. (laughs) That's our probe on the surface of Mars, as I don't have to explain to you, but I do that every night. One image looks very much like that of a trombone. (laughs) <laughs> Partially buried in the sands. <laughs> what do you think about that, Hal? Is that just something? <laughs> and that was Dialogue with Martian Trombone by Brian Price and Jerry Surge. Yes. And it start in no particular order, David Osmond. That's me, Phil Proctor, Melinda Peterson, me. Richard Fish, Donna Postel, Orson Osmond, sound effects by Tony Brewer, and Jerry Stearns, engineered by Renee Pringle, and a big hand to our Martian trombonist, Jonathan Kurtman. Yes! This has been a great Northern Audio Theatre Otherworld Media production. Member FDIC. And that's this week's show. Please send us a missive to sonicsociety@gmail.com. You can even send us voicemail if you really want to. That'd be nice. We could play you on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Remember, this is week two of Thursdays with Sonic Speaks featured, where Jack catches up with our old friend Fred Greenhalgh. So be sure to be back here next Tuesday as we return to Oz. Until then, I'm David Alt. And I'm Jack Ward. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Good night. The Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production.
Chauncey Haworth, Mark Slade, and Lothar Tuppen. The demented minds behind the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour bring you... Twisted Pulp Magazine. A journey beyond surreality to worlds you never knew or hoped existed. Worlds of the supernatural. Worlds of dark satire. Worlds of nightmarish futures. Twisted Pulp Magazine. If you thought the 21st century was weird enough already, think again. Twisted Pulp Magazine. A step beyond your grandfather's pulp. Available at digitalvaudeville.com. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E dot com. Music